You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Christie. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. Thousands of people remain under an evacuation order or alert in B.C.'s southern interior due to threats from the Karameas Creek wildfire. It has grown in size and has nervous residents wondering what's next. Our Kamal Karamali has been reporting on the fire all week and joins us now live from near Karameas. Kamal. Colleen, now just shy of 6,000 hectares. This wildfire continues to be out of control and uh, once again shutting down Highway 3A behind me here and putting more homes at risk. We are on evacuation alert now. This is the conversation Kudrat Mundi did not want to have. So it's very important that all of the workers have their passports, uh, work visas. Warning the 10 migrant workers on their family farm near Karameas to be ready to pack up and leave at a moment's notice. A lot of anxiety. It's a lot of checking Drive BC to see updates on the highway and if it's going to be open. We know the next update's coming at 6 p.m. tonight, so we're eagerly awaiting that. And, you know, it is a lot of anxiety, but also realizing it's out of our power. Many of them live on the property. Everybody's scared, yeah, because the fire is very close and too much smoke. The Karameas Creek wildfire inching closer every day. Their fruit stand under blue skies two days ago, now covered by a smoky haze and under an evacuation alert. Unfortunately, there isn't much we can do. We can't really pack up and take all our fruit with us. Highway 3A near their farm closed once again Friday, detouring traffic between Karameas and Penticton. BC Wildfire Service says the morning had been relatively quiet compared to a Thursday that saw all hell break loose. It was really strong. I understand the winds were in excess of 50 kilometers an hour gusts, uh, pushing from north to south. Expanding the evacuation order to nearly 550 homes. Please save our home. Including the entire community of Olala. We're going to all get out. We're going to be safe. Oh, yes. But please, prayers, prayers. So far, no additional structures have been destroyed. There are more than a thousand homes under evacuation alert. About half of those are in the village of Karameas, where the mayor is preaching calm and getting residents prepared to help one another should the worst case scenario play out. And I would ask neighbors who know that they have vulnerable neighbors. Go and check on them, see if you can help them. Karameos, though, far from the minds of firefighters, whose main focus now is to save the homes in Olala. No timeline yet as uh, of now on when Highway 3A will reopen. But overall, a better day today when it comes to the weather compared to yesterday. Colleen means that firefighters are really hoping to gain some ground against this blaze as long as the weather continues to behave. Although in the last hour or so, the winds have picked up again, just showing how precarious the situation is. Back over to you. All right. Thanks so much, Kamal. And here's an update on the number of wildfires across the province. There are currently 58 active fires. Nine started in the past two days. Almost all are in the south-central or southeastern part of the province. And more than 70% of all wildfires so far this year started by lightning. We still have six wildfires of note, the largest by far being the Karameas Creek wildfire near Penticton. 
The fate of Aidan Coban is now in the hands of a jury. The Dutchman is facing five charges in the sextortion case of Port Coquitlam teen Amanda Todd, who died by suicide in 2012. Romina Dea joins us from outside the New Westminster Supreme Court with the latest. Romina, Amanda's case has shaken people around the world. Colleen, Amanda's story made international headlines. You're right. We've been here now at trial for two months, heard from roughly 30 witnesses, 80 exhibits. We're in the 11th hour now. The jury began deliberations just after 2.30 this afternoon. Amanda Todd's mother, Carol, in the courtroom every single day of the trial. She has waited patiently for a decade for this moment. I'm hopeful. But I can't base my hope on 100% because if I don't hear those words of guilty five times, I'll be really upset, I'll be really disappointed, and I'll go down that rabbit hole. There is no question 15-year-old Amanda Todd was the victim of crimes. But who was behind the online sextortion? Identity is the crux of this case. Crown is trying to prove 44-year-old Dutch citizen Aidan Coben was behind 22 phony user accounts used to sexually blackmail the Port Coquitlam teen through Facebook half a world away. Amanda killed herself in 2012, weeks before the teen shared her story of blackmail, torment and depression in a haunting YouTube video viewed by millions worldwide. A seismic amount of evidence seized from Coban's holiday home in the Netherlands, including several hard drives, the name Amanda Todd appearing multiple times. Crown claims the hard drives contain enough information to prove only one person is responsible. The evidence, circumstantial and extremely technical. Defense told the jury there's no link between the online extortionist and Coban arguing the evidence shows other people were using the Facebook accounts, plus some of the devices showing communication with Amanda could have come into Coban's possession because he was a computer repairman. Also, the devices seized by Dutch police did not contain any videos or images of Amanda. This is ten year, almost 10 years in the making. Um, we have... It's not only me that has been advocating and making a voice, um, the story of Amanda. It's everyone that has embraced her story. Now, Colleen, it's important to note that Justice Devlin warned the jury that Amanda's death is not part of this trial. Coban has pleaded not guilty to all five charges, including possession of child pornography, extortion and criminal harassment. Now, the jury will be sequestered until it reaches a verdict. Back to you. All right, Romina, thank you. A serious multi-vehicle crash this morning brought traffic in and out of Vernon to a standstill. Emergency crews responded to the scene at around 8.30 this morning on Highway 97 near the Vernon Cadet Training Camp. BCRCMP say five vehicles were involved in the crash. A black SUV with significant damage had a white blanket draped over it. All highway traffic into and out of Vernon was forced to either turn around or reroute. The highway was closed for several hours. It's unclear what caused the crash, and so far, no word on any injuries. 
A political bombshell for a civic party that has won the Vancouver mayor's chair 11 times since 1937. John Cooper abruptly announced this morning that he is no longer running for the city's top job. Keith Baldry joins us now with some analysis on this. Keith. Yeah, and then there were four, as in four Vancouver mayoral candidates, with John Cooper's surprising move to take himself out of the race. A veteran uh, Vancouver Park Board commissioner, of course, while not considered a frontrunner, certainly considered a very credible candidate, considering there's really no uh, frontrunner in a crowded field that's less crowded with Mr. Cooper's departure, catching, I think, a number of people off guard with that announcement. He made a brief state, issued a brief statement today, basically saying that he met with the board last night and said, yesterday I resigned as the MPA mayoral candidate. I am grateful to the MPA for the opportunity to run and for the uh, also paying tribute to the, some of the people around him in terms of a wonderful team of candidates that surrounded me. I love this city and for, uh, enjoyed serving the residents of Vancouver over the past 11 years. I have always strived to walk with the utmost integrity and with an empowering un- commitment to those I serve. As I move on, I look, I'm looking forward to spending time with my family and friends. That's Mr. Cooper's statement. We caught up with one of his former challengers, and that's ABC candidate Ken Sim, who says he's not particularly surprised given that this is a marathon, not a sprint, and don't be surprised if someone drops out. Are you surprised you dropped out of the race? Um, you know, I, uh, that's a great I know. Oh. It's, a, it's a process, and it's a marathon, uh, and it takes a lot out of people, and I'm not surprised uh, when anyone drops out of a race. So again, Ken Sim remains in the race. Of course, incumbent Mayor Kennedy Stewart is also there, as is other challengers, such as Colleen Hardwick of Team and Mark Marison of Progress Vancouver. Of course, the vote is October 15th. Mr. Cooper's departure probably favors Mr. Sim and Ms. Hardwick the most because they sort of occupy the same part of the political spectrum. We'll see, of course, if anyone else drops out between now and October 15th. And of course, all we need to do now is encourage people to actually get out and vote. Right. Thanks, Keith. Staffing shortages mean many businesses in B.C. have been forced to cut back on operating hours. The latest Stats Canada Labour Survey shows the province's unemployment rate remains at a historic low as thousands of jobs are being added in some sectors anyway. Richard Zussman has more. The market meets in Carisdale, it is becoming hard to meet demand. A beefed-up economy is making it challenging to find staff. So we've had to close one day a week. Um, because we just don't have enough staff to staff seven days a week. And that's the first time I've ever had to do that. Unemployment is at historic lows. Just 4.7% in B.C., according to the latest Stats Can Labour Survey. The economy adding 14,900 jobs, but workers are able to choose where they want to work and not necessarily where they are needed. There always is a challenge ensuring that the people with certain skills are able to take jobs with different skills. And so the micro-credential programs that we put in place, the $85 million, is targeted just to that. Not all industries are hiring. Construction may have added 4,600 jobs, while manufacturing lost 8,900. Accommodation and food service down 2,100 jobs this month. And the healthcare and social assistance sector, amid a healthcare staffing crisis, down 9,300 full-time jobs. The ones that are in the workforce now are facing a lot of stress. Many are choosing not to work in the sector anymore. And there's a lot of burnout and illness because we're still dealing with a pandemic. Not much to celebrate uh, in, in these numbers when you, you see what's happening in healthcare uh, with a, 
an almost 10,000 uh, drop in the number of jobs in the healthcare space. The province asking Ottawa for help, pleading to expand the number of skilled immigrants coming to the province from 7,000 in 2022 to 10,000 three years from now. Give us more control so that we can help identify where the challenges are and fill those labour needs uh, with skilled people. The survey also showing, unlike most provinces, there are actually more people looking for work in BC this month compared to last. Suleiman hoping one of those people end up here before hours have to be sliced even more. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And as Vancouver struggles with a shortage of lifeguards, the Park Board is cutting swim sessions at some outdoor pools. Starting tomorrow, weekend morning and evening sessions, along with weekday evening sessions, will be reduced at Kitts Pool. At Second Beach Pool, the 9.30 a.m. session has been cancelled. The first session is now at 12.15 in the afternoon. New Brighton's pool schedule will not change for now, but capacity limits could be brought in for evening swims. Crews are making progress on the deconstruction of that barge stuck in English Bay. An excavator is now inside the barge and is being used to tear down the walls. After that, the concrete deck will be removed and the structure will be taken away in pieces. Work got underway last week but was paused over the long weekend. Demolition will take 12 to 14 weeks and the seawall will remain open while the work is done. Global News has reported on the drawbacks of B.C.'s no-fault auto insurance. Well, now a potentially new problem has come to light. How the system could negatively impact victims of drunk driving and benefit bars so over, who over-serve and the company that, companies rather, that insure them. We'll have that in just over a minute. Escapees or kidnap victims, the SBCA shelter looking for four dogs missing after a break-in plus so this is our voluntary close adult version of the hand the victoria group offering life-altering help to ukrainians injured in the war those stories coming up on the news hour the tragic deaths of three boys last year in a car crash are shining a new light on a little-known aspect of bc's no-fault insurance system it's one, lawyers, it's one that lawyers warn may undermine the campaign to get drunk drivers off the road. Catherine Urquhart explains. It was a devastating crash in Surrey one year ago that killed three teenagers, Caleb Reimer, Ronan Sharma and Parker Magnuson. The well-known up-and-coming hockey players, aged 16 to 17, died when their car slammed into a tree near 104 Avenue and 160th Street. Factors included speed and alcohol. Played hockey with all three of these boys. It's hard to see them go. Now, under BC's new no-fault insurance system, commercial hosts and places that sell alcohol face diminished consequences, according to a lawyer representing the family of Caleb Reimer. This is a huge backward step in the campaign against drinking and driving. At the very source for where people consume alcohol. The case highlights how with no-fault insurance, there's much less accountability for commercial hosts who improperly serve or over-serve alcohol. Plaintiffs can only recover a limited amount of lost wages and punitive damages in special circumstances. Damages for pain and suffering are capped at $409,000. Caleb's accident happened after no fault came into British Columbia and the primary goal 
for the family is accountability and protecting other families from going through a loss like what they've suffered. BC's Public Safety Ministry referred Global News to ICBC. Their response reads in part, For anyone hurt in a crash and unable to work, enhanced care will pay up to 90% of their net income up to $105,500 in gross income. Also, those who earn more can purchase additional coverage to top up the amount. Reimer alone in front, shoots and scores! Caleb Reimer, his first Western Hockey League goal! Caleb Reimer was a first-round pick with the WHL Edmonton Oil Kings and had a bright future ahead of him. Now, under no-fault insurance, his family is very limited in seeking accountability, as are countless other injured British Columbians. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. An unusual truck accident left a boozy mess on the on-ramp to the Maryhill Bypass. Workers cleaned up the debris by hand this morning, piling six-packs on the concrete divider. A tractor-trailer carrying pallets of suds somehow broke apart and lost its load. The trailer appears to have simply collapsed in the middle, ripping open the front and causing cans of Coors Light to spill onto the right lane, reducing traffic in the area to just one lane. Up next, unanswered questions after a child was found dead. Nothing was issued, an Amber Alert, a notification to the family. Why wasn't someone, anyone, notified when a 13-year-old girl went missing from a group home? That story next. And the health care costs of homelessness, coming up on the NewsHour. It's a busy go for Highway 99 southbound travelers headed to South Surrey, just east of Highway 91. We have a collision in the left lane. Fire crews and main road on scene waiting for a tow truck to come pick it up. Minor delays as you make your way uh, south of the 99. Today's Little Max jackpot is an estimated $55 million plus an estimated four Max millions. A lot of Max. Dream to the Max. Above Highway 99 and 91 in Delta, I'm Amber Belzer. A warning, this story may be upsetting to some of you. Many questions remain in the tragic case of Noel Osoup. The Indigenous child's extended family and child protection advocates are still asking if she could have been found sooner had more action been taken by police. Sarah McDonald has more in part three of our investigative series. When a child disappears, the public is typically notified, and often through an Amber Alert, which adds urgency and visibility to a search in which every second counts. But none of that was afforded to Noello Soup. Nothing was issued, an Amber Alert, uh, notification to the family, uh, any, any notifications, nothing was given at all. It's baffling. Why was there not an Amber Alert for Noel? The answer to that question differs depending on who you ask. Directed in this case to Coquitlam RCMP, which stepped up its efforts to find the 13-year-olds who also went by Ellie in a public way this past May. You are not in trouble, Ellie. We need to make sure that you are okay. By which time we now know she wasn't. Her decomposed remains already located weeks prior alongside those of another adult female inside the units of a dead man in this building in Vancouver, only ultimately discovered by cleaning crews after going overlooked by Vancouver police for months. Ellie, 
your loved ones and the police are concerned for you. In fact, on this very day, as RCMP made this very public plea, an investigation was launched by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner into the actions of a Vancouver police officer for neglect of duty in connection to the case. Weeks after, Osoup's remains were finally discovered and a full year since she vanished from a foster care group home in Port Coquitlam. It's really frustrating because I feel like the police could do more because we're doing their work. Osoup's extended family and child protection advocates called the efforts of the RCMP to find her futile and impotent from the very beginning, questioning why an Amber Alert was never issued. Why there wasn't, I don't know, but there should have been. Then everybody around her would have paid attention to her. Or anything initially beyond a press release that only further stigmatized a missing child. They did also say that she frequented the downtown east side, which was not true. She had left her home once before and contacted someone to pick her up. She wasn't frequently coming down here. Coquitlam RCMP maintains legally Osoup's disappearance simply did not meet the criteria, telling Global News in part in a statement. An Amber Alert is usually intended only for the most serious, time-critical abduction cases. Noelle left home voluntarily. They said that it was inappropriate um, and it didn't meet the criteria of an Amber Alert because Noelle did not want to be found. The time she went missing, she was 13 years old and she was likely deceased before she turned 14. She wanted to be found. Not wanting to be found. I wonder how they would feel if they were in our shoes. It would be days until they were ever even notified Osoup was missing. They were asking then and they never got any answers. And they're still asking what happened. And still a lack of transparency persists. Cookpie Judy Wilson spoke to us from the grounds of the former residential school in Kamloops, where hundreds of unmarked graves were found the same month Osoup first vanished. Failed decades later by the Ministry of Children and Family Development and so many others. Our children are still being taken, but now they're in the system and then uh, they're disregarded and then, you know, they're missing and murdered. And even then, all too often, overlooked. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Up next, why, if you can, you should donate blood ASAP. Plus. This announcement is further proof of our commitment to leave no stone unturned. The federal government fast-tracks the handgun ban without legislation. And the new report out of Alberta that indicates how homelessness is impacting the health care system. Next. All the stories, all the action. From all the teams that come to play. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Good evening. I'm Amber over top of Highway 1 at the Cape Horn. If you're taking the Mary Hill exit, we still have only one lane getting by crews clearing up a beer truck that buckled earlier and the whole truck was taken apart. All the beer's gone, sorry to tell you, but that's gone. We still have delays, though, for Highway 1 eastbound from King Edward as you make your way to the Cape Horn trying to take that Mary Hill exit. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Royal Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. In Global 1 above Highway 1 in the Cape Horn, I'm Amber Belzer. 
Canada temporary ban on the import of handguns. The rule is being made without approval of Parliament, instead using a regulatory measure that would go into effect in two weeks. It comes on the heels of gun control legislation the federal government tabled in May that includes a national freeze on the importation, sale, purchase and transfer of handguns in Canada. But that bill has not yet passed. So Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino said the temporary ban announced Friday will last until a permanent freeze is passed in Parliament and comes into force. This announcement is further proof of our commitment to leave no stone unturned in our quest to prevent gun crime in our country. We'll keep finding new tools to keep Canadians safe. The temporary ban will prevent businesses from importing handguns with few exceptions that mirror the tabled legislation. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie said she has the authority to ban any import or export permit for Canada. In Health Matters, a new report is giving us a glimpse into Alberta's emergency wards. It also breaks down just how often the homeless seek care. Global's Dan Grummet has more on what's causing so much pain. Among the dozens of tents scattered throughout downtown's core sits a woman in severe discomfort. Tannis Cardinal says a surgery incision became infected, leading to many repeat visits to the Royal Alex ER. They still suffer with it, you know. A new report is shining a light on the prevalence of stories like hers. Over a two-year period ending in 2020, there were more than 10,000 visits by injured homeless people to the ER, an average of nearly 500 per month. The leading cause was unintentional poisonings, which made up a quarter of all visits. That's attributed to the ongoing opioid crisis. Second was violence, followed by falls, and finally, environment-related injuries. Nearly three-quarters of those are related to exposure to extreme cold. An enormous quantity of the injuries that people are sustaining is preventable. The report validates what the Bissell Centre, which has medical supports on site, has been seeing for years. But with a doubling of homelessness in Edmonton since the report's data was collected, the expectation is ER visits by the injured and homeless have only gone up. We could very reasonably expect to see uh, an increase in those numbers, perhaps even a substantial increase. Dr. Kathy Belton says the most alarming finding was that 17% of those who checked in left without receiving proper medical care. Amongst the general population, that number is 3 to 5%. We don't know why they're leaving, whether it's because of stigma or, or um, you know, difficulties in accessing care. I'm taking the antibiotics. Cardinal accessed the care. She says it was pretty good despite the 10 or so trips. But on the street, it's not easy to heal. It's hard to live with, yeah. Dan Grummet, Global News. An update now, update now to the monkeypox situation in our province. The BC CDC says there are 81 confirmed cases of monkeypox in BC. That's up from the 61 infections reported last week. 69 cases are in Vancouver Coastal Health. Fraser Health and Island Health each have six cases. While it can be spread by touching surfaces and through the air, health officials say the primary cause of transmission is prolonged skin-to-skin contact. Canadian Blood Services is issuing another urgent appeal for blood products. According to the agency, there are 40,000 open appointments that must be filled before the end of the month across the country in order to make sure patients have access to blood, platelets and plasma when they need them. Since July, there has been a 17% decrease in the national inventory. 
Canadian Blood Services only has a three-day supply of O-negative and O-positive blood left. You can book an appointment to donate at blood.ca. Workers are scarce these days, and so is housing. Now, the investment one BC business is making in order to invest in its employees. Next. And just two of four dogs still missing after someone broke into a BC SBCA shelter. Next. It's another example of how the housing crunch is impacting life here in B.C. A business in Vernon has now opted to buy staff accommodation to help workers find an affordable place to live while also hoping to recruit new workers. Megan Turcato has more. Finding affordable housing in Vernon is such a challenge right now, um, and it's actually becoming a hurdle in some cases for businesses to recruit employees. The owners of this Vernon squash facility and sports bar are among those hearing from employees about the challenges of finding a place to live. Just incredibly difficult to find anything um, at a rate that was affordable to them and also just incredibly difficult to find a place in general um, that was decent accommodation. So with the business expanding and hiring additional staff, the owners decided to purchase housing that will be able to accommodate some of the employees. We purchased a property which is two legal two-bedroom suites. Um, so the intention is to provide um, housing at an affordable monthly rate that includes all utilities and um, internet. So we're not looking at this as a revenue-generating property. We're looking at this basically as an investment in our employees to provide a, an affordable housing option. Vernon's Chamber of Commerce says the number one issue for local businesses is attracting and retaining staff, and the high cost of housing is a big part of that. In a statement, the Chamber President said the organization expects employers will continue to have to take steps like purchasing employee housing just to maintain staffing levels. However, that comes at a significant cost for businesses, and many are not prepared to also be landlords beyond running their businesses. But for those businesses that are willing and able to provide housing, the president of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association sees it as a smart move. Where the industry is going now is trying to create long-term employment relationships with, with, with our employees. And, you know, we lost a lot of employees during the pandemic, and I think that you know, providing you know, housing, providing flexible work schedules, work-life balance is all part of the future. So I think you're going to see more and more of this. Back at the sports club, the business is expecting its squash pro to move into the company house in September and is hoping the housing offer also helps recruit new kitchen staff. Megan Turcato, Global News, Vernon. Four dogs have gone missing following a break-in at a BC SBCA shelter. We'll have that story for you right after the forecast. And Kasha is here now, and boy, the sunshine has returned with a vengeance. Oh, has it ever, <laughs> yeah. I mean, today was a gorgeous day, Colleen. It was nice and comfortable, and it was nice and gusty, breezy near the water. It still is. Look at that shake. Um, peak wind gust not long ago, 37 kilometers per hour from the west-northwest. It's still 22 degrees, and tomorrow, and really throughout the weekend, kicked off today the Abbotsford International Air Show, right? So this is your air show forecast. Temperatures are going to be reaching daytime highs between 26 and 28 for inland sections closer to Abbotsford. It'll be 28, but feeling like 32. Very sunny, so take care. Now we're shifting our attention to the firefight. So today's peak wind gusts across the southern interior between 30 and 40 kilometers per hour. And moving forward, we start to see them die down, especially western sections. So that's good news over here for Karameas. Tomorrow morning, 
morning. Pretty calm winds between 10 and 15 kilometers per hour coming in from the west and then from the north throughout the day. Otherwise, uh, towards Osoyoos, 30k wind, so a little bit gustier over there. As far as your future radar, your predictive radar and active weather goes, it's all situated in the extreme northwest of the province. Everybody else seeing nothing but sunshine, dry condition, sunny skies and temperatures on the rise. Not all of us in the Okanagan are going to see such hot temperatures. Let's give it 33 come Tuesday. But other places closer towards Merritt or southwestern sections of the southern interior year, we'll certainly be seeing those hot temperatures. So it will be a hot week ahead. Have a look at tomorrow's forecast across the province. It's going to be a beauty of a day. 29 for Kamloops, 27 to 32 degrees, depending on where you are across the Okanagan. 25 in Williams Lake. Fort St. John could see a few showers in the morning, then clearing. And there's your long range for Metro Vancouver. So not a drop of rain in the forecast until Wednesday. And even then, it's just a slight chance, unfortunately. So here's your central windows weather window. Look at this one brought to us by Chris Buxton, a nice combination of cumulus as well as these are your cirrus clouds as well. Just a cool shot taken in Chilliwack today. There you go. Absolutely beautiful. Thanks so much, Kesha. Four dogs have gone missing as a result of an overnight break-in at the Prince George SBCA. These are two of the dogs, a Rottweiler mix named Ellie and Marshmallow, a great Pyrenees mix. The other two were being held at the shelter as part of the SBCA's animal control contract with the city. The society believes the break-in may have been connected to those two dogs, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. RCMP are investigating. Given that it is an ongoing investigation, we are being mindful of what we can release at this time. So we are working closely with them. They are, they've opened an investigation and hopefully they're able to help secure the other remaining dogs as well and um, find, put some closure to this file. A total of seven dogs were let out in the suspected break-in. Two of those dogs have been found and a third remained at the shelter. I don't know, Barry, I'm thinking it's mm, probably an inside job. Uh, yeah, it could be, I don't know. You know. <laughs> Sounds like a Disney plot, a no Disney kidding. movie. The dogs want to get out, but <laughs> hopefully all the pooches find a safe landing spot. Hope so. What have you got coming up? Well, we're going to preview the uh, Whitecaps match tonight versus Houston. Should be a great day to watch soccer at BC Place. Vancouver down three key starters. Also, Vancouver's Rebecca Marino looking to make it to the semis at the WTA event in Washington. And we'll have highlights of her quarterfinal match against Daria Seville of Australia coming up. That and a life-altering mission. The Victoria Organization giving a hand of sorts to Ukrainian war injury victims. Stay with us. Squire has the night off. Mm-hmm. Barry is in with a look at sports tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to have the lid off at the uh, BC Place. Of course, oh, we had the problems yeah. when it was so hot there a couple of weeks Too ago. Too hot. Thank goodness. 
uh, they've fixed that. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, Whitecaps will be without three key players tonight in their match against uh, Houston Dynamo at BC Place. Midfielder Andreas Cubis uh, and forward Christian Dahomey are caught up in the COVID outbreak, and Brian White will not play due to a rib injury. So others will need to pick up the slack for a Whitecaps team that may need to run the table in their final six home games to have a good chance to make the playoffs. In a deep roster, we have pretty interchangeable players, I would say. So if someone's missing, that someone can be replaced easily. The most important name that we have in our jersey is the one in front of the jersey, Vancouver Whitecaps, and not the name behind. We're resilient. You know, you've seen in the games in the past, we, no matter the result, we're fighting to the final minute. We get late goals, and uh, we show a lot of character in these tough moments. So I'm expecting nothing different and moving forward. Vancouver's uh, Rebecca Marino is playing some good tennis these days. Her uh, WTA ranking is now inside the top 100 at number 96, which should uh, get her into more top-level tournaments this summer. This week in Washington, she's already won twice, including a three-set win over the legendary Venus Williams 12 years after they first met at the U.S. Open. Today, Marino played in the quarterfinals against Australia's Daria Seville. Marino's uh, got a big serve and a big forehand, but she got off to a slow start unfortunately down four love first set but she will swat the forehand winner here to get on the board so it's four games to one but uh, Seville was really locked in especially early in this match she's in the far court and will fire the forehand winner and Daria Seville takes the first set 6-1 in just 27 minutes Marino looking to bounce back she will uh, chase down the drop shot guide that one in down the line but again Seville really dictated the points and she will get another forehand winner they had a long weather delay in this match for a few hours and Rebecca rallied a bit but she still fell 6-1-7-5 so she's out but still a great week for Marino who will play in Toronto next week and then will be back home in Vancouver for the Audlin Brown Van Open on August 15th. The Calgary Flames aren't about to let another star player walk out of town, so they have uh, bucked up big time for Jonathan Huberdeau, acquired in the Matthew Kachuk trade from Florida last month. Huberdeau, who is 29, has signed an eight-year, $84 million deal. He was second in league scoring last year behind Connor McDavid, and the Flames are literally banking on him to have the same kind of impact over the next eight years. Meanwhile, semifinals of the Holinka Gretzky Cup, the U18 tournament from Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, and Finland. Canada has outscored opponents 26 won their first three games, but uh, needed to get a last-minute goal from Ethan Goche, whose dad, Denny, used to play for the Calgary Flames. one nothing after one. Nanaimo's Matthew Wood. This kid has got a lot of skill. He's a sniper. Shows it there. Canada goes on to win it 4-1, so they will play in the gold medal game tomorrow. CFL tonight. Stampeders and Red Blacks from Ottawa. Defense is dominating this game. Uh, the entire game. This is uh, the biggest play so far. Caleb Evans of the Red Blacks picked off by Titus Wall, and he takes it back 46 yards for the touchdown. That is the only major of the game. Stamps are really dominating this one. 17-0 right now, midway through the fourth. Got some golf for you. Second round of the Women's British Open from Muirfield in Scotland. Canada's Brooke Henderson, one under 70 in round one, playing out of the thick rough on the second hole. But how's this for an approach shot? A little recovery here from Brooke would make that for a birdie. And then at the sixth, again from the rough, but another very good approach shot. I guess that's the fairway. Sometimes in Scotland, it's hard to tell.
<laughs> but that was still a great shot. Uh, unfortunately, didn't putt great. 32 putts in the round. That's a bit high. Another one under 70. Tied 17th at two under. See his six shots behind leader in Ji Chun of South Korea. PGA Tours final regular season event, the Wyndham Championship from North Carolina. Will Zalatoris had himself a back nine. Second shot on the par four. Keep the putter in the bag. That's an eagle two for Zalatoris. And then, just two holes later, this is an eagle putt on the par five. And you can imagine what's going to happen. That one goes down. Two eagles in three holes. Helped him make the cut. Now, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor also made the cut. So that should get Nick into the top 125 and the first playoff event next week. Merritt's Roger Sloan missed the cut, so he will not make the playoffs. English Premiership season kicking off today. Arsenal and Crystal Palace. Gunners up a goal in the second half. Put it away. Bukeo Saka with the hard cross. Knocked in by Palace defender Mark Gahey. Friendly fire, an own goal. Arsenal win their opener 2-0. Favorites Man City and Liverpool get going this weekend. And Blue Jays and Twins from Minnesota. Plenty of Canadian fans, mostly from Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Ontario, making the trip across the border to cheer on the Jays, but saw Minnesota jump out to a big lead off the former twin, Jose Barrios. Nick Gordon with the three-run homer. Finally in the fifth, all those fans from the Prairies getting a chance to cheer. Matt Chapman launches his 21st homer. That makes it 5-1, to one, and that's where they stand right now. In the six, five one. Just like when the Jays go to Seattle, everyone from oh, yeah. you know, Alberta go down. When they go to Minnesota, half the crowd is cheering for Toronto. For sure. It's nice to see. A little cross-border mm-hmm. sports action there. <laughs> Thanks so All much, right. Barry. Next, the company that is quite literally lending a hand to Ukrainian war amputees. Next. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW. A Victoria charity that specializes in prosthetic arms is trying to get their devices to Ukraine. They say demand for prosthetics is rising there as civilians and soldiers lose limbs in the war. The nonprofit now needs funding and partnerships on the ground in Ukraine and hopes the public can help lend a hand. Kylie Stanton has more. Starting from the bottom and working its way up. Thousands of tiny layers coming together over the course of a few hours. So right now we're actually printing um, the palm piece. While it may not look like it just yet, at the fingers, the wrist socket, and you've got a game-changing prosthetic. We've worked in a lot of functionality into the hand, so you know users can f- perform a lot of daily tasks. They can use it at home, at work, at school, uh, for all sorts of things. You can flip the switch. The user would actuate their shoulders, close the hand in a locked position. In just a few short years, the hand project has created roughly 200 prosthetic arms for amputees in 10 countries around the globe, the majority of which are developing nations. 
partnerships with healthcare providers and a focus on in-country production, labs have been established, making the prosthetics not only accessible, but also affordable. It's approximately $150 in materials. We are a full-on charity, uh, even though we're a technology developer. Um, we want to basically make our designs available to help people. Now they're hoping to extend that helping hand to the people of Ukraine, particularly those who've suffered limb loss in the war. We want to set up a print centre in um, Eastern Europe or in the Ukraine and work with clinicians on the ground there to make the prosthetic devices. The close proximity means a faster turnaround, allowing amputees to be fit within just a week or two. But the charity is having trouble finding resources or collaborators to make it a reality and is now calling on the public to help. Donation or information is key. We're looking for the right clinical partners, the right technology partners to produce and fit these arms in the region. And that's really one of the most important things that we need to get started. Because I see this moving. As Laying that groundwork is what will put the idea within reach, changing lives with a truly hands-on approach. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Lovely puns there. <laughs> All right, Kasha, one last look at the weather forecast. All right, it's going to be sunny and hot throughout the weekend for most of us across the southern interior, even the central interior. So stay cool out there. Not as hot as last month. Last month's kind of heat spell. You know, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Can get close, though? We're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Cool at night. Happy about that. For sure. Thanks so much, Kasha. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Hope you have a great weekend. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.